بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومولاه أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته everyone this is your host and brother Zaki Ahmed the Qabila Development Manager with Canada for Al-Maghrib Institute and I am super excited to welcome you to our fourth episode of Al-Maghrib Crew U for our brand new listeners, what Al-Maghrib Crew U is, it's a monthly program for our entire volunteer body from all of the different student tribes across the Al-Maghrib world. And the goal with this program is for us to bring exciting speakers focused on exciting topics centered around our spiritual, personal, or professional development. Today with us, we have Sheikh Mohammed Manar, who I'm very, very excited to have as our guest because Personally speaking, he's one of my favorite instructors in the Al-Maghrib lineup. I had the opportunity to get to know him well when we hosted him here in Windsor for Once Upon the Nile, as I'm sure many of you have. And if you had that experience, you know how down-to-earth of a person he is, how easy it is to get to know him, and just how cool of an individual he is. Alhamdulillah. He's also the first Western graduate of the University of Medina's College of Qur'an, which is a very hard college to graduate from. And alhamdulillah, he's one of our newest instructors on the Al-Maghrib lineup. Today, he's going to be speaking with us about a very, very important topic. And we're going to be talking about mindset. Mindset sets the foundation for everything that we do. And it's very relevant for us as volunteers and as leaders in our community and in the da'wah that we're involved in. So let's talk about the different categories of mindsets and how this affects the work that we do and the way that we approach everything in our life. Without further ado, I'm going to pass it off to Sheikh Mohammed Manar so we can jump right into the topic for today. Sheikh Mohammed, Jazakallah khair for joining us. We begin by thanking and praising our Lord and Creator and Master, the one true God, the most merciful. We beseech Him to shower our beloved Messenger Muhammad with compliments and salutations and upon his family and his companions. And all of those who follow his sunnah, his perfect tradition until the end of time. I'm very happy, first of all, that we have this kind of initiative to begin with. I was having a conversation with Mahir. Many of you, especially those of you in the uh, United States, Qaba'il, would know him from Minneapolis. And this was several months ago. And I had a conversation with him just randomly. And I was telling him, man, we need to figure out a way to invest more into the volunteers of Al-Maghrib. And then he was like, you know what? Perfect timing. We're actually about to launch this thing called Crew You. And I was like, oh, awesome. Alhamdulillah. Great minds think alike. And the reason why this is so important is because I used to be a volunteer too. And, and I still consider myself one, although very passively. I hope no one from Qabir Taqa is here because then they're going to call me out and say, yeah, you're, you're a great help. Um, <laughs> but, but the idea is, the idea is you guys are not paid employees. You guys are volunteers. You believe in the work that a Maghrib Institute is doing. And because of that, you are devoting and dedicating your time and effort. Now, oftentimes when we look at companies and organizations, they will invest in the development of their employees. We're not some for-profit company. We're a nonprofit educational institution. And the backbone, what allows us to, to, to have these classes operate, are you guys the volunteers. So it is high time that we uh, develop one another and we help each other grow and, um, and improve in the quality of our life and our dealings, not only as Al-Maghrib volunteers, but as Muslim students of knowledge. And then inshallah ta'ala, we will be giving back in different arenas of our communities, inshallah ta'ala. All right, uh, having said that, inshallah ta'ala, I'm going to jump into our topic tonight. And um, our topic is based on a book that I've been reading based on the advice of, of a good friend of mine who's, who's really passionate about 
personal and professional development. And so this book is right here. It's called Mindset. And it's by a uh, professor by the name of Dr. Carol uh, Dweck. I'll show it to you one more time in case you didn't know. It's a nice paperback, relatively inexpensive book. Uh, If you're interested in this topic and you want to look into it more, perhaps you might want to pick up the book. I don't get a cut. I'm just (laughs) sharing with you what my resources are. Now, I'm not going to define to you what a mindset is. You know, in Arabic, we have this proverb where they say, you know, um, someone asked for the definition of water. And so you try to define water and you go up and down and left and right and side to side. And in the end, you're you end up just saying water is water. So we all pretty much have an idea what it is when we say the word mindset. But let's kind of jump into into a little bit more about the nitty gritty. I'm, I'm really going to focus just on the introduction to the topic, which is basically chapter one of this book. Let me tell you a little bit about the author. Professor uh, Carol Dweck, she's a, she's a doctor in psychology in, I think, Stanford University or something like that. Many, many years ago, she was studying children in school, and she was researching how children in school, and this is where it gets interesting, how do children in school cope with failure? So when a child is in school, first grade, second grade, kindergarten, third grade, etc., and they encounter a failure in their schooling, how do they cope with that? How do they get over it? How do they move on? How do they manage it or deal with it? What are they doing? And so this is what she was researching. In the process of researching this, she found that perhaps cope is not really the right word, or maybe this isn't the right way of approaching this situation. And, and she started developing a lot of these ideas and theories that resulted in, in producing this work, Mindset. And much later, she ended up publishing this book in the early 2000s. And then companies started picking up this book and the information in her book. And it started going from something not so much for the individual, but now you find a lot of big companies and corporations adopting some of the lessons that she mentioned in her book when dealing with their employees. So what she noticed was people are of two types of mindsets. And these are the terms that she coins and you find them very common now. You'll hear these terms now in the business world or in the personal professional development world. And those two mindsets are the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. So often, if you just look at like bookshelves, or if you're ever traveling and you're going through the airport, and you're just looking at the most common, popular, bestseller books, especially in the topic of personal development, it's always things like the the seven ways to double your profits, the 10 ways to achieve success, five surefire methods to guarantee you will not fail in your next project, right? We always see those kinds of headlines and they stick out to us. And especially for those of us that are number of people, we're like, yeah. I can pick this up. I can implement one, two, three, four, five, and I'll be successful. I don't know about you, but every time I open one of these different books or articles, you start reading them. Number one, you see, be open-minded. Number two, be willing to try something different. Number three, expand your horizons, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like these really fluff phrases, and then you finish reading the article or the book, and you're like, it's like busy tone, like, you know, the busy tone of like when you call a phone number and it's busy. Okay, now what? Like you said a lot of nice rosy things, but how am I supposed to implement that? What I really like about about um, what this professor is talking about, this is very tangible, very real, very practical. So let's talk about these two mindsets. The best way to, to, to illustrate to you the mindsets is to give an example. So she gives a really good example in the book. 
And perhaps this example might resonate or be relevant for some of you. Imagine with me, you're in school, you're a college student, you just got your grade for your midterm. Professor hands you back, you know, the midterm, and you look at it and you've got a C minus. You're like, ridiculous. You grab that midterm, you're in a bad mood already, C minus, what the heck, dude, my first midterm. You walk to the parking lot to get in your car. As you're approaching your car, there's a ticket on the windshield. You didn't notice and you parked in a spot that you weren't supposed to park in and now you have a parking ticket. And you grab that parking ticket and how could this get any worse of a day? You get inside the car, toss your backpack in the back seat with that stupid C minus midterm, throw the parking ticket in your glove box. I don't want to see that thing. And you're driving home. So what do you do? You're in a bad mood. You call up your best friend. You call up your best friend and you want to vent to someone like, dude, let me tell you how much my day has sucked up until this point. I got a C minus in this midterm. I really needed to do well in this midterm. I show up to my car and now I have a parking ticket. This is the last thing that I need, man. How am I going to pay for this ticket? Man, you know, and in the course of talking to your friend and trying to feel better about all the things that are going wrong in your day, your friend tells you basically, you know what? I'm sorry. I really don't have time for this. Sounds like you're having a bad day, but you know what? Tough luck. My day is 10 times worse. They just brush you off. They blow you off. It's not a very helpful phone call. And you you end up hanging up the phone and you're like, what's wrong with them? That's really not the kind of support and, and help that I needed right now. Okay, example over. How do you feel? A person with a fixed mindset, if this happened to them, they'll react and they'll respond to this by saying things like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a failure, dude. I'm just, I'm just a complete idiot. I can't do anything right. You know what? I, I tried studying for the midterm. Look how that, look where that got me so much for being smart. I'm always trying to look at where I park. I got a parking ticket. I'm just destined to be poor. I'm just destined to always have stupid tickets and violations and citations. I'm never going to be able to save up any flipping money. And you know what? Honestly, my friends are jerks. Like I'm having a bad day. You can't just hear me out for 10, 15 minutes. That's the kind of things a person with a fixed mindset says. Whereas someone with a growth mindset, if these kinds of things happen to them, they respond and they say things like, man, you know what? I think I could have studied a little bit harder for that midterm. There was that one chapter and I, and I, and I felt like I didn't really grasp it, but I kind of just brushed it off. I should have reread my notes a couple more times. You know what? Maybe I should try something different. Like I've been studying by myself all this time. Why don't I join a study group? Why don't I partner up with some of my classmates and say, hey, do you guys want to like study together for, you know, a couple hours before the next midterm? And and maybe that'll help. This whole parking thing, maybe I should like double check the parking signs and not take for granted that I remember where to park. Let me make it a point to always check the parking signs. You know what? Maybe, maybe I should pencil this in and like put it like on a post-it note or something so I don't park in this place again and, and remember that, hey. Don't park in such and such parking lot on such and such days or, or whatnot. And you know what? That friend that blew me off, that brushed me off, man, I, I, wonder, if, I wonder if they're dealing with something really bad. Maybe, maybe something's not going right with them. That's the kind of person that has a growth mindset. So from that example, right then and there, you automatically see that a person with a fixed mindset has this notion or belief that everyone is granted a certain amount of talent or skill And that's what they have. And they don't do well with failure. Because if you fail at something, that means you weren't meant to be good at it to begin with. 
If you were not able to accomplish something from the get-go, first try, for those of you that are skateboarders, first try, if you couldn't get something first try, you probably shouldn't be doing it anyways. All or nothing. I'm going to give it everything or I'm not even going to try at all. Those are the kinds of underlying notions, those kinds of subconscious ideas that people with a fixed mindset carry. Whereas a person with a growth mindset is always thinking that, you know what? Sure, I have a certain amount of genetic predisposition, a certain amount of gifts or talents that Allah created me with. Sure. But you know what? There's always room to grow. Failing doesn't mean I was never meant to do this to begin with. It just means that this is an opportunity for me to learn and not repeat some of those poor choices again. And right there, you see the difference between the growth mindset and the fixed mindset. So people that are able to adopt a growth mindset, they are able to grow. They're able to develop. Whereas people with a fixed mindset, they get bogged down by failures. Oftentimes, they won't even attempt or try something because of fear of failure. What are people going to say about me if I were to fail? So that right there tells you the difference between these two mindsets. Now, let me mention a couple of things here. In the Harvard Business Review, they had an article that I was reading on this topic, and they kind of extrapolated a lot of lessons from this, this author and this professor. So there's a lot of misconceptions because a lot of people will hear this talk about fixed mindset versus growth mindset and how it can completely shape your potential for succeeding at one endeavor or another. And so there's some common responses. Of them, number one, you'll have people that say, you know what, I already have a growth mindset. So here's the thing, here's the thing about that. Many people confuse a growth mindset with this idea of being open-minded or being flexible or being willing to experiment or try something new. Here's the thing, no one, absolutely no one is a pure 100% growth mindset, doesn't exist. Every single one of us is a mixture. We have a mixture of fixed and growth mindset. What's good and hopefully what we can develop is to notice within ourselves the triggers, the fixed mindset triggers. There's certain things that trigger a fixed mindset behavior pattern and cause us to kind of lock up and be afraid of failure and fall into like self-pity and, and, uh, and an unwillingness to be introspective and, and not be tied down by our failures, but think, how can I re-attempt? How can I try this again in a different way, in a better way? How can I learn from someone else? Like to, to this, uh, this willingness and this ability to welcome uh, criticism, constructive criticism, of course. The other thing is this isn't just about mantra. This isn't just about slogans, you know, like, let me write something really cool and put it up on the wall and growth mindset, and that's going to solve my problem. No, what we need to do is we need to do some internal digging that can sometimes be uncomfortable. What are some things that happened in my childhood that shaped the way I am thinking and behaving? Let me give you guys a very personal example, okay? This doesn't leave this, this group, and I'll close with this. I heard a very similar example on, on actually an interview with this professor and, and subhanAllah, it resonated with me because I had a similar experience growing up as well. Um, growing up, my whole life, I was homeschooled, okay? If you guys didn't know that, now you know. I never went to school until college. The common attitude or common stereotype with uh, children that are homeschooled is, oh, they're really like smart or they're really dumb. They couldn't keep up in school. That's why they had to be homeschooled. 
But usually people will say, oh, you're homeschooled. It means like you're really smart. You know, you skipped a grade, you graduated early, which which I did actually graduate high school early. So I guess that stereotype is sometimes true. So your whole life, you're hearing people tell you this. Oh, you're so smart. Oh, you're so smart. You're so smart. When I got to college and I went to Cal State Long Beach, Long Beach State University in Long Beach, California, uh, we're two miles away from the beach. We have the best weather in the world. <laughs> we have, uh, you know, a really good surf team, a really good volleyball team. We're a semester system. The semester is 15 weeks, which is a long time. A lot of people don't study because they're just partying all the time. It's a really big party school. And so I just automatically fell into this mindset of I'm really smart. So I don't have to work hard. All of these people are less smart than me because, hey, they weren't homeschooled. But I'm so smart and I graduated early and I got this and this on my exams. They're partying every weekend and passing their classes just fine. Because I'm so smart, I don't really have to study that hard. I'll do fine. Newsflash. That's not what happened. Not only did I not do fine, I did very, I performed very poorly academically especially in my first year, especially in, in, in those first few semesters, really bad grades. And my GPA just <clears throat> hit the ground, dude, uh, and started getting all these notices, you know, be careful, there's going to be academic probation and all of these crazy things. Um, I, had a, I, had a, I had a scholarship, you know, I had, uh, you know, a, um, financial assistance that I qualified for because of my grades, which I lost. Uh, I didn't qualify for anymore because my grades plummeted. I had to scale back and start going to school part-time so that I can work and, and cover expenses. And then it's, it's history from there. But the idea is when you, are, when you have this, and this is something that I noticed, is you grow up your whole life and everyone's telling you, you're so smart, you're so smart, you're so smart. Um, you end up being very unwilling to fail. You don't want to mess up. And if you do, it's the end of the world. And that's a fixed mindset. That's not a growth mindset. In conclusion, in conclusion, uh, I always, whenever I come across some of these issues of personal development or mental health or, or psychology or whatnot, I always sift it through the lens of our uh, prophetic teachings because I do truly believe in the bottom of my heart that Allah and his messenger gave us all the tools that we need to succeed in this life and in the hereafter. But I am able to appreciate and accept what we can learn from professionals in other fields because it allows us to look at things from a different perspective sometimes. So when I started thinking about the seal of the Prophet and the scholars of our, of our tradition, I wanted to see, is there any basis for this idea of fixed versus growth mindset? Is there any idea in our religion, in our deen, that promotes the notion of having a, a healthy mindset? And subhanAllah, it's right there staring at you in, the, in your face. So many scholars of hadith, they begin their collections of hadith with the narration of the Prophet ﷺ, And I'm sure, you know, I, I can I, I safely assume that many of us have heard this narration a bajillion times. That actions are judged based on their intention. Now, oftentimes we think of it from a very legal perspective that you have to have the right niyyah, make sure there's no riyat, there's no like, you know, seeking of others to, to, to praise you. You're doing the seeking pleasure of Allah. That's all great. But this plays directly into mindset. If you are constantly going through this process of renewing and assessing, analyzing your intention, that's basically working on your mindset. 
You know the hadith of the Prophet when he encourages us to begin every good act with Bismillah. Say Bismillah before you begin something good. What does Bismillah mean? Oh, in the translation it says with the name of Allah, in the name of Allah. What the heck does that mean? I don't know what that means with the name of Allah. With the name of Allah, what? When we learn what Bismillah actually means and what it implies, we come to see that it, 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 is, it is a frame of mind. It is a dua. You are asking Allah to grant you success and the ability to accomplish what you are about to accomplish, knowing full well that you cannot accomplish it without the help from Allah. That right there is recognizing deficiency, recognizing weakness. Recognizing potential for failure. Yes, I might fail at this. Sure. I'm a human being. Humans fail all the time. But no problem. Bismillah. I'm asking Allah to grant me success. And you know what? If it's not good for me, oh Allah, get it out of my way and show me something better. In essence, that failure is not the end of the world. It's a wake-up call from Allah that I need to get up and explore another avenue. Bismillah. We find some of the ulama talking about Zainul Abidin, the, the great grandson of the Prophet. He says that it was said about him when he would make wudu, his face would change color. They told him, No, what's wrong with you? You're making wudu. He would say, Do you not realize next after wudu comes what? Salah. Salah is what? Salah is me standing in front of my Lord and Creator. That's his mindset. Before even getting into the salah, he was getting in the frame of mind. Where am I going to be? What is the implication of this? So honestly, our, our tradition is full of this idea of, of having a growth mindset. Of Allah in the Quran, in multiple places, uh, 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 addressing the messenger and telling him not to be bogged down. Don't get bogged down. Uh, we know, O Messenger of Allah, that you are hurt and that you are, it is depressing you that the insult they're saying and the belief that you are faced with. But be patient and recognize this is not a failure. This is something all the messengers went through. This is strengthening and adding reward. This is building you up. And all of the messengers accomplished something great because they fulfilled the mission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them. So really this idea of, of thinking very critically and carefully about how we approach our failures, thinking very carefully about the way that we've been brought up and how that impacted us. Um, and, and maybe some of us here, and I'm sure many of us here already have quite a good aspect of, of, of growth mindset, but triggers that get us stuck in a fixed mindset sort of behavior pattern and try to work on those so that we can continue to grow and develop, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakumullahu khairan. Any questions, thoughts, ideas? I'll pass it back on to you, Zaki, so you can take us to the next phase of this, inshallah. Absolutely. Jazakallah khair, Shaq. I really appreciate, first off, you joining us for this call and all, all of the stuff that you shared with us um, from your from your reading. Can you just repeat again what that book was and the name of the author for those of us who are interested in getting that book, inshallah? Absolutely, positively. It is called Mindset, and the author is Carol Dweck. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, Carol Dweck, Mindset. Uh, really easy to find on Amazon. If you're not interested in buying the whole book, there are individual articles that are written on the topic by this author and by some of the others. Uh, I mentioned one was reading on the Harvard Business Review. If you are more of a listener than a reader, there are some podcasts and there's some interviews with the author where she expands a little bit more on this topic. The rest of the book goes into how 
the mindset affects you as a student, as an employee, as a manager, uh, in all different uh, facets and aspects of, um, of of people's lives. And so, yeah, definitely it's the important uh, foundational starting point for, for personal development, inshallah, Tana. Wonderful. Awesome. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh, for sharing that with us. I want to open it up, the floor up for questions for you guys. So we'll start off with questions. While we're waiting, uh, Sheikh Mohammed Manar, you did mention that there were some discussion points to think about from the book. You mind sharing some of those with us? Yeah. Yeah. The author at the end of every chapter, this is also something that I like. Um, remember how I was mentioning some of those self-help books? Like a lot of them are kind of fluff. What I like is um, at the end of every chapter, the author has some of these uh, questions that you can ask yourself and, and they're really, really helpful. So what I would like to do is I'd like to spin off of one of them and actually do a little, it's a question, but it's a little bit of activity. If nobody has a question, if you guys can, um, well, you should have already had um, a little writing thing or somewhere to type, but I'm going to ask you a question. This is a personal activity that each person can do, and hopefully it will help us identify. I'll give you a couple seconds to, to grab a paper and pen or to open up a, uh, a space on your computer to type if, if that's that's where you're at. Okay, so here's the question. Okay, you guys ready? Bismillah. Um, so here's the activity we're going to do. And I did this activity and it was really, really helpful for me. Okay, identify something that you've always wanted to do but haven't been able to. I want you to think right now, something you've always wanted to do to accomplish, something you've wanted to engage in or be involved in but haven't been able to do at this point okay if you just write it down at the top of uh you know at the top of your sheet right there okay now it's one of two things you haven't done it yet is it because you've tried doing it but you failed if that's the case then write that right i tried but i failed or is it that you have never tried to begin with? You've been too afraid to even try. So it's one of those two. Identify something you've wanted to do, but haven't been able to do yet. Now that you've identified it, let's say, for example, I'll give you one from back in the day. So I always wanted to surf. Born and raised in Southern California, everybody surfs. I never surfed. I never went surfing. So I identify that. I've always wanted to surf. I've never gone surfing. Is it because I tried and I failed? Okay, no. Is it because I was too afraid to start? Yes. It's because I was too afraid to even try. Now that you identify one of those two, if it's the first or the second, I want you to under that, under that, if it's fail or afraid, I want under that to start making a list. I want you to make a list of the things that you did leading up to that failure or a list of the ideas or fears that led up to uh, uh, the fear being so great that you didn't attempt it. Make that list and write it down. So for example, for me, it's too afraid to start. And then why was I too afraid to start? Uh, number one, injury. I had a friend who used to surf and the surfboard hit his face and it broke his nose and he had to get a surgery. To get the surgery, he had to shave his beard, and then he ended up having this thing on his nose for like four to six weeks, and then he, you know, he had problems with breathing, and he had bloody nose for a long time. It was horrible. So I had this fear of injury, and then I would have to get a surgery, and then I have to shave my beard, and I don't have health insurance. All these fears. 
there was also the fear of financial loss. I'm going to have to buy a surfboard. And then what if I fail at it? And then uh, I end up losing that money. And then also within that package is a fear of failure. Or it could be that I tried and that I failed. So list the things that you tried. Uh, I went surfing on this day at this place and it, it was really bad experience. I kept on falling. I couldn't do it, etc. Okay, if you've come up with this list, now what you do is you flip that around and you try to try to think about all of these different quote unquote failures, if you will, how you can turn them around into something that is progress. So how can you do something differently? So for example, I was always afraid of going surfing because I would get hurt. So I actually found someone who surfs and who's passionate about surfing and who wouldn't mind going surfing with me and actually teaching me. So like coaching. And so I teamed up with that person and, and I went with them and they taught me the basics. Regarding financial loss, I found a cheap and used surfboard and, and it was able to purchase it without breaking the bank. And also looked up, I looked up online people that sell used sports equipment. So I had this idea that, you know what, if surfing's not for me, I can still sell my surfboard and I'm not going to have a major financial loss. And number three, I reached out to some of those friends that I knew used to go surfing and they were way better than me. And I kind of bit that bullet of feeling embarrassed. And I asked them, hey, can I go surfing with you? And even though they were much better than me and I was like an amateur, but being in their company kind of helped me and motivated me to get better. And then I actually went and surfed and I absolutely made a complete and utter fool of myself because <laughs> I was falling every single time. I was exhausted. I was overweight. I looked like a buffoon. But you know what? I had an amazing time. And then the second time was a little bit better. The third time was a little bit better. The fourth time was a little bit better. I'm not good at it by any means. But you know what? I'm not afraid to go and try. And I'm not afraid to fall in front of everyone. I actually enjoy it now. So that's just um, that, that's a silly example. Now, you might, I, I just use something to, to kind of illustrate to you this process, this little activity. But imagine we did that with all of the different things that, that we, quote, unquote, uh, fail at, if you will. All right, I see some questions here. Uh, Zeki, you want me to go ahead and hit some of these questions? So the first question was from Sister Reem Badali here in my hometown, Windsor. And she said, Assalamu alaikum. So you mentioned the importance of working hard, especially in school. How can I help my friends and classmates, she's in, a high, she's in high school, to work hard on their studies and not relax all the time, expecting that they'll get high marks, basically what you mentioned from your story earlier. Okay. So, um, Sister Reem from Windsor, Ahlan Usahlan, Jazakum Khiran for uh, participating and asking your question. You know, I think a lot of times having an honest conversation with someone like this will uncover a lot of these um, presumptions and a lot of these beliefs and notions. So, for example, when I was in college, that example, that personal example that I shared, I didn't realize at that time that I was behaving that way because people always said, oh, you're so smart, you're so smart. I didn't make that connection. This connection that I shared with you is something that came years later that I was thinking to myself one day, why did I, why did I perform so poorly when I had all of the assets and all of the tools to succeed? And then reading, doing, reading these types of material and kind of doing that introspective activity really helps uh, in identifying and making those connections between our experiences in childhood and then why we are behaving the way we are now in adulthood. So how can you help? I really think a nice, good, honest conversation about, about childhood experiences. 
um, how were you brought up? What what kinds of things shaped your outlook or shaped your uh, uh, um, uh, perception of yourself? Again, this isn't about, uh, you know, before we look at others, what is, what is my mindset? Do I think I am prone to failure? Because that's a really big problem. Some people have that mindset. You know what? No matter what I do, I'm going to fail at it. It's going to suck. That's just, that's just what I am and how I am. That's really bad. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have, you know, a, a very haughty type of, of, of pride or arrogance, which is like, oh, I get this, man. Students in the bucket, man. I, this is, I got this. I don't I have to work hard at all. And both of those are unhealthy. So in the high school environment, if someone feels that, you know what, I heard I have to work hard. I don't, you know, uh, I, can, um, I can easily ace things without putting in too much work. Okay. Maybe you feel that way now, but then when you hit the college phase, it might not be the same. Again, each phase has different sets of challenges. So the idea is through these kinds of honest conversations and not conversations where there's like blame or, or attack, but, but just questions, you know, how, how do you feel about yourself? Uh, what are the kinds of things that your teachers told you when you were growing up in, in, in grade school? Uh, what kinds of expectations did your parents have? From your, from your schooling. A lot of these types of questions will help us uncover the that, that we're in, and then we can from there figure out how to adjust. I see another question here um, from Muntasar. Do you want me to, to take that one, Zeki? Yeah, for sure. Is this Muntasar from New York? He's the only Muntasar I know, so <laughs> it must only be. Muntasar, Leiva, NYC, baby. Mashallah, I know Sarah Muntasar. Good to have you with us. Uh, to follow up the previous question, how does one influence their team to have a growth mindset so that they can go above and beyond? This is really crucial. This is really big. Um, so if you're in the position of leadership, first of all, I'd recommend you read the book uh, because she does talk about that from a managerial perspective. But this is a really good point. How do you foster a growth mindset? SubhanAllah, you know, they actually did case studies about companies, and I was reading this um, in some articles, uh, a certain behavior that you can use with your team members, with your employees, with those of you that are under your authority, develop this growth mindset. I'll give you a couple of case studies. The first one I remember we covered in, um, in college. Um, I remember we had, a, we had a class in management and, um, and we took as a case study, this was many, many years ago, we took as a case study Costco. You guys know about Costco? Everybody knows Costco, right? Who here loves Costco? Everybody loves Costco? Okay, I'm assuming there's a delay here. That's why you guys are not old Chinese. Everybody loves Costco, bro. So, Sam's Club? Boo! Sam's Club is like the bougie version of, of Costco. Who said Sam's? Man, Sam's Club. Man, you just like, man. Okay, we'll let that go. It's all about Costco. The CEO of Costco made a personal commitment that every year he would shake the hand of every single Costco employee from his sea level to the people mopping the, the, the aisles of, of the individual Costco's. Now you might think, well, that's not feasible. Again, this was many years ago. Maybe they had to amend that policy a lot, but he would make site visits and then he would go and he would shake each employee's hand. Now that you might think that's really silly, but what it does is it's recognition. And when we look at the seal of the Prophet 
you see that Rasulullah, he recognized the talents and the abilities and the companions. He said things like, أَعْلَمُكُمْ بِالْحَلَالِ وَالْحَرَامِ Mu'adh. You know, the, the one that knows the most about halal and haram is Mu'adh. Uh, the one that's most similar to Isa is, is Abu Dhar. The one most similar to Musa is Umar. The one that has the most hilm, the most forbearance and rahmah is Abu Bakr. أَرْحَمُ أُمَّتِي بِأُمَّتِي أَبُو Bakr. Right? He recognized these uh, qualities in the Sahaba and, and he affirmed them and would capitalize on them. Another case study, the CEO of GE, right? After going through a lot of training, um, uh, General Electric, after going through a lot of training and a lot of uh, leadership and management courses, he actually stopped hiring graduates from Ivy League universities, right? <laughs> he stopped. He's like, that's it. I'm not hiring graduates from Ivy League. I'm going to hire graduates from Big Ten. I'm going to hire people from within and then give them promotions. Because he noticed that a lot of people come in with like this sense of accomplishment and they have like this chip on their shoulder that I'm so great. But he recognized that a lot of people that society seems to belittle, they actually have a lot of skills that they can contribute. They just need to be recognized for the good and that good needs to be harvested. And so when we want to, to establish this, this, this mindset of growth, growth mindset in our team, look for the good qualities that we have and try to capitalize and focus on them. Somebody might, for example, have a very, very low voice, very bad at giving announcements. And so we tell them, you're in charge of giving announcements at this weekend seminar. And they go up there and they get dry mouth and they stutter and you can barely hear them. And it's like, raise the microphone. Man. And we're like, you know, they can't work. For Does that mean that they can't be amazing at something else? Another set of tasks that we might have, let us not allow people's failures to mark them off, but actually get to know your team on a personal level so you can uncover some of those skills. We had a, we had a group effort once and there was a brother and he was an extreme introvert. And he was very bad in people skills because he'd get so much anxiety. And it was really frustrating working with this brother. And we wanted to just, you know, listen, we'll see you later. After personal conversation, we found out that the brother has a passion for journalism. He has a passion for journalism. And he loves writing stories uh, and, and news stories. And he used to have a dream of being a journalist. And so after events, he started recapping the event in like a journalistic news article style. And it was really nice. And it, and it brought like a new energy to the group. And it like uh, uh, gave us like excitement. It was really nice to read his short pieces. Everybody has talent. Everybody has skills that can be capitalized and, and can be grown and harvested. But through that personal interaction, we'll be able to recognize them and then we can grow and develop them. Wallahu alam. Awesome. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh Mohammed. Really appreciate it. So I'm going to fire through the next couple of questions, inshallah, just because now we're, we have less time, right? But the next question is from Sister Zahra Ilahi. And she was asking what she can do to help a friend who thinks that Allah doesn't answer her du'as and that Allah doesn't love her and such. And I'm guessing it connects with the situations that she ran, that she ran into, some of the stuff you mentioned before. I'll be very honest with you guys. This is... Um this one's going to be a little bit of a long answer. So I think we might, this might take us out of the scope of our discussion. I'm trying to think how I can, how I can address this uh, in an abridged format. Uh, look, I'll put it to you this way, Sister Zahra. Uh, and may Allah bless you for, for having this concern for, for your friend. Because truly a, a concern and a good friendship is, 
is is when there is concern for a person's relationship with Allah more than their um, well-being in this dunya. A lot of times, from my experience, people that have this kind of attitude or this kind of feeling, um, it is a byproduct. It is a byproduct of a misconception, of a misunderstanding, or a false idea of who Allah is. A lot of times, many of us grow up only hearing things about God that are scary. We only hear things about religion that are do's and don't. And that's a big problem. Because what that gives birth to is that gives birth to this notion or this idea that that God wants to punish me. Or anytime something bad or difficult happens to me, it's because I'm being punished. Because God is very severe in punishment. We've all heard that before, right? It's in the Quran. Shadidul Iqab. And yes, it is in the Quran, but it's taken out of context. You know, truly when, when we have more focus on understanding who Allah is based on what he told us about himself, that does away with a lot of those false understandings that my God, my creator is not evil, is not malicious, is not hateful. He does not test me with these difficulties to punish me. He does not test me with these challenges because he wants to harm me. He does not delay me seeing the response of my dua just for fun or for you know vanity or to put me in a in a difficult situation. But when you when you hear the Prophet وسلم, sitting with his companions in a very tumultuous situation, there's a lot of commotion going on. And in the midst of that commotion, a woman is frantically searching for her lost child. And subhanAllah, I saw something like this happen in, in Mecca. I was sitting in the roof of Masjid al-Haram. And this woman was running around screaming and she was saying, did you see my baby? Did you see my baby? He looked like this. He's wearing this and this and this. And so the Prophet seen this woman running around searching for the child and she found the child and she grabbed the child and squeezed that child and held the child tight to her chest. And the Prophet asked the companions, do you think this mother would throw that child of hers into a pit of fire? And they said, no way. No way she would voluntarily throw her own child into, the hell, into a, a fire. Look how much love and compassion she has for this child. And the Prophet said, I swear by Allah, Allah is more merciful with his creation than this woman is with her child. And the problem is that we view difficulties and challenges of life as punishment from God. But that is not the case. If the challenges from God were punishment, that means the messengers of Allah were the worst people, logically. Know that their tests were excruciatingly difficult. So that means that it is not proportional. The difficulties I face and God's love for me. Uh, anyways, I, I really, we can go on for, for, for so long and, and uh, I feel like we will go out of the scope of our discussion. But a big part of it has to do with what is our perception of Allah. For sure. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh Mohammed, for that. And and also, Sister Zahra just typed in the chat box, Jazakallah khair. So thank you for helping with that question that she had. So we're going to bring back, inshallah, to the topic of mindset. With the next question, Sister Ahlam was asking, she said, Assalamu alaikum, are there other self-development books about mindset that you would recommend? Yeah, uh, and let me, I was opening that up right now. So there's another book which I haven't read yet, but I'm planning to. And it's called, it's more about on the lines of leadership though. It's called Multipliers. And the idea is how effective leaders 
actually improve and raise up status and the situation of those around them. A good leader is not the one who shines as a leader, but everyone underneath them is uh, getting lower or staying stagnant. A good leader is one that raises the people around them up. So it's called multipliers, multipliers, but that's more along the lines of leadership. There's some more stuff, which is look up, you know what, I can't give you some specific stuff, but there's a mindset where they talk about scarcity mindset versus um, abundance mindset. So based on Carol Dweck, uh, Dr. Carol Dweck's um, work, we talked about fixed mindset versus growth mindset. There's another um, uh, set of theories and there's a lot of books and articles written on this. I'll just give you the theme and then you can search it and find some more books and articles under this topic. It is the, the um, scarcity mindset versus uh, abundance mindset. The scarcity mindset is one where it's kind of like fierce competition, right? So like if somebody brings in a slice of pizza and then everybody wants to fight over it. Whereas the abundance mindset is how can we all profit together? How can we grow together? And I think that's really crucial. For those of you that attended Once Upon the Nile, we mentioned this idea of the abundance mindset without using that term, abundance mindset. That was before I had come across these readings. But when we talked about how Musa had Harun, how the Prophet had the Sahaba, this idea that we work and we grow when we grow as a team, this idea of the knight in shining armor, the one savior that's going to save everyone, it doesn't work like that. So check out abundance versus scarcity mindset Costco all the way Woo. <laughs> awesome I'm gonna throw in just another suggestion for you guys to an author for you to check out because he has like over 70 books but he's actually a leadership author but the thing is if you read books on leadership they're gonna touch really hardcore on uh, mindset because it's very important if you want to be an effective leader you yourself need to have an effective mindset and you need to be able to get your team to have an effective mindset so the author that I would recommend everyone to check out is named John C. Maxwell so if you haven't heard of John C. Maxwell, he's one of the most well-known authors in the area of leadership. And specifically, he has a lot of books, like I said, over 70 of them. So I'm sure you can find a ton more that are relevant to mindset. But two books that come to mind are one of his older books called Failing Forward. So I would check that out. Another one is one of his newest books. I think it may be his newest book. I believe it came out last year or maximum the year before. And it's called Sometimes You Win sometimes you learn. So check it out. It's really good. I benefited a lot from reading his material. The one that wrote about the uh, 21 infallible laws of leadership. Yes, that's him. Yeah, yeah. I think we use that book. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, for sure. Also for our Amara, by the way, if you look in the Amara, the manual that we give you, it has a reading list at the end. And they're mostly going to be leadership books. But like I said, leadership books typically are going to touch on mindset. And they're going to talk a lot about mindset because again, it is a central part of the equation of your success, inshallah. But Jazakallah khair, Sheikh, for the, uh, for the recommendations. So another question that we have here is from Sister Edwana at HQ. She said, from what I understood about changing yourself from a closed mindset to a growth mindset, in and of itself, it sounds like for some people who have insecurities in their capabilities, it might be hard to, and open yourself up to a lot of procrastination. How can you overcome that? Is there a process that we can help build so we can start implementing that? It's a lot harder when you're dealing with multiple personalities. Yes, yes, that's very true. Um, you know what? Um, actually, one of the things that, that, that uh, Professor Dweck mentions in her work, um, one of the attributes of, of, of people with a growth mindset and one of the ways to develop your growth mindset is um, 
get over the fear or apprehension to ask for help. You'll notice something about people that have a growth mindset is they don't hesitate to ask for help. Whereas a lot of people with a fixed mindset, one common denominator between them is they don't like asking for help. If I can't figure it out myself, I'm not, I, I, I'm not doing it or I shouldn't be doing it. And that's very problematic. Also, this idea that asking for help is a sign of weakness. That is also something that is not accurate at all. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not once in the Quran, but twice, says, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask people of awareness and of knowledge if you do not know. The ulama commenting on this verse, they said this does not only apply to scholars of deen, but in any endeavor that you wish to excel in, ask the successful and professional people in that field, in that realm. If you want to be good at surfing, I'm not going to go to my local imam of my masjid and he doesn't surf. You know, I'll go to someone, a brother, a friend of mine in the Muslim community, my friend, we've taken classes together. He goes surf. So I'll ask him. He has expertise. So this notion of asking for help uh, is, one of the, is one of the hallmarks of people with a growth mindset. Now, let me take it a step further. Insecurities. We all have insecurities. All of us. I really, really wish that we, just this group here, because sometimes when we think too big, we end up getting depressed. Just this group here. I really don't want anyone to think that, you know, so-and-so is, is, is perfect or so-and-so is good and I'm really messed up. We're all messed up <laughs> in one way or another. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. The human being was created with this, you know, this, this idea of haste. The human being, Allah says, nature of many human beings, they like to argue. We have certain qualities, certain things that we all struggle with. We all have different types of insecurities. We need to move past this idea of this shame of asking for help. Yaki, I'm struggling with this issue in my life. Let me go seek professional help so that I can develop and grow and so I can be a better Muslim, inshallah. But you know what? I am struggling in some of the basic aspects of my daily life. Something is holding me back. So really procrastination, all these different things. Is there a process? Yes, the process is ask for help. Seek help on a personal level. Uh, and that is not a sign of weakness. And it is not shameful. It is the height of wisdom. Wallahu alam. Awesome. Jazakallah khairan. So let's see if there's any more questions here. Okay, awesome. So that was all the questions. There was one question. It's from Um Asya, Qabila uh, Tadi. I'm not sure if the question was for the Sheikh about the author of the book he read or if it was for me about John C. Maxwell. But it was at, But the question says, does he have any podcasts? Can you just... Oh, you're mentioning John C. Maxwell. Okay, I'm not 100% sure. If he has a podcast, I'm not following it, so I don't know. I would not be surprised if he does have some kind of podcast or similar program, but you can just look him up on Google and you'll find tons of stuff from him, audiobooks and, and everything. He has a lot of content available. So I'll just search his name, inshallah. I just opened my podcast app and I typed in John C. Maxwell. And I do see that there's a podcast here. It's called A Minute with Maxwell. Awesome. So I guess I'll subscribe to that too, inshallah. You guys see that? Now that we answered all the questions, I'm going to present a question slash action item for all of our teams. For you guys, it's, I would like for you to sit down with your team 
inshallah, before our next mm -hmm. session. What I'll do is later on, I'll send, before we have our next session, I'll actually send out a form so that you guys can submit the kind of things that came out of your discussions. But I think it's a very beneficial discussion for us to have in our teams. And the question that I have for you guys to discuss among yourselves are what are some ways right now as a group, as, your, as a team, what are some ways that mindset is holding you back? And when you've identified some of those ways, what are some ways that you can turn that around? Organize a time for you to come together and to discuss this. And just to throw an example out there, I have been working with Habilas for that have classes scheduled to coach them in marketing. And one of the recurring things that I noticed is a lot of times, if a Qabila is really struggling, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where class after class, they're having a really hard time to change what, what they achieve. And when we talk about setting goals, for example, let's say at one class, this Qabila had 60 students or 75 students or whatnot. They're, 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 they're kind of in a slump. And I'm telling them, okay, you know what? Let's completely change things around. And for this class, we're gonna aim to have 130 students or 150 students it's very hard for them to wrap their minds around achieving this goal. And because of that, they are not going to set the goal. Whereas what I've noticed, and this is from actual examples of Qabilas that I worked with, there was one Qabila I'm not going to mention, but they were struggling for a while and they were getting very little people to their seminars. But there was one class where they implemented some strategies and they really changed things around. And the, and the leadership, the Amara were, you know, keeping, staying on top of things and making sure that, you know, we weren't going to settle with any excuses or anything. And they, within one class, they turned around from really struggling for, the, for a full year to selling out that course. And now at this point that we're talking, they've actually sold the, their last two classes out back to back. And what it reminded me of is, I don't know if you guys heard the story of the four minute mile, but up until our, it was around 1953 or 1954, in the history of the world, documented no one had ever been able to run a mile in four minutes but now in order for you to enter the olympics as a middle distance runner it is a standard that you have to be able to run a mile in four minutes now what changed what changed was a gentleman named i believe it was roger bannister he broke that record and it became it became hu huge news everyone was hearing about how he ran a mile under four minutes the moment that he broke that record, you start seeing person after person breaking that record. And now at this point, it's, it's standard that you have to run four minute mile, but from, I believe it's even now has been reduced by around 20 seconds or so. And that was something that for years, for decades before, no one in the world, as far as people knew, was able to achieve it. And all it took was for them to see someone do it. And I noticed the same thing with Qabal that I work with. So if we're taking it back to talking about marketing for courses, this Qabila that I spoke about as an example for their last class, I didn't even have to give them as much coaching as I did previously because of what they achieved last time. I just told them that, hey, we discussed their goals. We, we, they set their goal to sell out again for this class at a much higher level than they did even the last class. They knew what to do and they had nothing holding them back because they knew that they achieved it. Whereas before I remember, initially the class that they first sold out, I was putting a goal for them that wasn't even close to what they actually achieved. And they thought that, you know what, things are really bad. The economy is not that great and all these different kind of things. But it was not until they, they achieved it that they're now it's not even a question for them that they're like, you know what, we can do this regularly for all of our classes. So I want us to take, inshallah, account of ourselves now, not just in this area, but of course, if this is an area where you feel mindset is holding back in your, uh, your team, marketing, um, other aspects of your team, developing as a team, growing as a team, what are some areas that mindset is currently holding you back? 
And then what are some ways that you guys can change that mindset as a group, inshallah? What can you do? Zaki, can I, can I add one thing before I leave? Absolutely. That's a really good uh, question, um, thought-provoking activity question. If I can just add one aspect to it. Also, if you can identify a fixed mindset person, a fixed mindset person that perhaps might have negatively impacted you, um, and, and think about how uh, they might have impacted you. Uh, and maybe, maybe I carry certain fixed mindset triggers because of, of this person. And, and that's not to develop animosity or, or to hate anyone, but recognize some of these influences in our life or in our groups or in our teams and try to work um, you know, um, in ways to, to avoid that fixed mindset trigger. Perfect. So take these discussion questions that we just mentioned, inshallah, go back, schedule a time. I would say as close to this call as possible, because you want these ideas that we just talked about to still be fresh in your mind. So if you can do it in the next week, if you can do it in the next two weeks, schedule that time to get together as a team and actually discuss this. And then later on, before our next session, I will send out a form so that we can actually share some of the things that, that came out of that discussion. Don't worry. I want you guys to be able to have honest discussions. So you don't. So when I share it later on, I won't mention which Kavita said this or that or that so that you guys can have honest discussion. But it would be helpful for us to see the different ideas that came out and maybe even the ideas that came out from other Kavitas that, that, that we also have going on that we didn't even realize. So I really look forward to that discussion. Sheikh Mohammed Mana, I know you're in a rush because you have a program and you have to leave us. But Jazakallah khair for joining us for the call today. I really appreciate your time. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless you for everything that you do for, with, for us, the Al-Maghrib family, as well as everything you do locally in your community and beyond. And Jazakumullah khair and everyone else for joining as well, inshallah. Inshallah, before we wrap up, uh, I know some of you are joining for the first time. So I just want to mention the way our Al-Maghrib crew sessions work is we have the session live at the last Tuesday of every month which means our next session is going to be on Tuesday, February 27th, inshallah. But for those who are not able to join us live, we do have recordings available for every session. And we actually have it available through a podcast. So right now, I don't know if you use iTunes or other apps, but whatever app you use, you should be able to find it. Just search Al-Maghrib, Crew U, Crew U is one word, capital U. Any podcast app that you search it on, you should be able to find it and subscribe. And then that way, you will get automatic recordings. Even if you attend live, it's good to subscribe because that way you can review the things that we went over, inshallah. And we always do our best to have that recording available as soon as possible after the live session, inshallah. So for, for your teammates who are not able to make it on our call today, please share with them some of the gems you benefited. And, and I felt that this was a very powerful session. I hope that you did too, inshallah. But let them know that and let them know that they should really tune in and they can subscribe to the podcast to hear this session and all of the previous sessions that they may have missed, inshallah. So with that said, I want to say Jazakumullah khairan to all of you for joining us for yet another session. Our next session, as I mentioned, is going to be Tuesday, February 27th. It's the last Tuesday of every month, and we will be announcing details very, very soon. Barakallahu feekum, everyone, for joining. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward all of you, and I look forward to seeing you on the next call. Wassalamu alaikum.